And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitaro, and this week I am joined by my not usual cohorts. I Very have... unusual cohorts, some might say. Very unusual. Except not really that unusual because you've both been here together before. True. I don't. I don't know what 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 exactly ties the the three of us as a group here, but somehow this this combo has worked a few times. Anyway, I am here. If you already heard one voice, that it's Professor Allen. Hello. Former intern, now entrepreneur. <laughs> and we have dancing Gene Hendricks. Rejoice, podcast listener, because I am here. Sorry, that, I've, been that, watching that, a, that, uh, <laughs> I've been watching a lot of My Hero Academia. <laughs> so maybe you're watching the 1968 or 66 Thor episodes. It's kind of the same with the attitude of the one character. <laughs> Did John Vernon do the voice of Thor in that, or was that somebody else? I don't know. Because I know John Vernon did Submariner's voice. And I'm pretty sure he did Tony Stark's voice. You'd have to ask Tom Harris. He would know better than me. <laughs> I, would, I would imagine Tom would know, but <laughs> Tom isn't on today. So originally it was supposed to be the three of us and Dr. Bill. But what I could say to Dr. Bill is physician heal thyself mm. because Bill messaged us not too long ago that he really just wasn't feeling well tonight. So he bailed out on us. And because it was originally four of us, I picked a book that had four stories in it. And the reason I picked that book, it just keeps getting more convoluted, doesn't it? The yes. reason I picked that book is because Professor Allen was kind enough to send me a copy about a month ago or so, I guess. It's Marvel Tales number four from September of 1966, which reprints four, and I put this in quotations, classic <laughs> stories we'll be the judge of that yeah and, and, and the, the quotations will be on the definition classic for the stories themselves as well as the fact that these stories were only a couple of years old at the time that they were being reprinted yeah no kidding you know, 1966 isn't that far into the marvel age of comics and they're already reprinting and we get four stories we have an amazing spider-man story a journey into mystery starring the mighty thor strange tales starring the human torch and Tales to Astonish, starring Ant-Man. Uh, so when I suggested that we do this, Alan quickly jumped on the Spider-Man story. Darn right, I did. I suggested that Gene would do the Thor story, because Gene, for reasons unknown to me, are, is, is tied in with Thor somehow. 
Yeah, it's inexplicable. I asked Dr. Bill which he preferred, and he went for the Human Torch story. Glutton for punishment. So I was getting the uh, Ant-Man one. But since Dr. Bill isn't here, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll each do the ones we were going to, and we'll play it by ear on the Human Torch story. All right. <laughs> I mean, the only, the only risk is clearly reading that story does make you sick. <laughs> that's a clear yeah, one to one connection. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> that is always a danger. So the first story in our book is The Return of the Vulture from Spider Man number seven, December nineteen sixty three. Professor Allen, I give you the floor. This is The Return of Vulture. Written, of course, by Stan Lee and illustrated, of course, by Steve Ditko. Reprinted by popular demand. At least that's what Stan says, and he wouldn't lie about that. Because these are Marvel's vilest villains as well, as you will see. Because I think by the end of this episode, every listener, if they made a list of Marvel's top villains, these four would definitely be in the top thousand. Maybe. There's no, a chance. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> One or two of them. Two of them. I think two of them two. might okay. in the top thousand. And I think two of them probably would not. I would say two of them definitely would not. <laughs> I know one definitely would not. Yeah. Can you guess which? Uh, it could be. Uh, you might have a more intimate... <laughs> knowledge of that story than the two of us but yeah well of the, of the four <laughs> villains before we even get into this of the four <laughs> villains three of them well two of them <laughs> were fairly regular appear had fairly regular appearances and are probably very familiar to any listening audience who's familiar with the marvel age of, of comics one of them has had a couple of appearances and may be familiar to a lot of people mm. one of them Unless you've read this specific story, <laughs> I defy you to be familiar with. <laughs> Anybody who, is, who has not read this story but knows this villain, and it will be in the fourth story, you let us know. You please send me an email because I will be just amazed by that. You will be astonished, actually. I will be oh. astonished. <laughs> well, I guess we're starting at the top then, starting at the, the – uh... The, the pinnacle of villainy. I would say of, of the of the four villains, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this, as we said, is the return of Vulture. And we start with a recap of Spider-Man 2, a spectacular battle with one of the most dangerous villains of all time. Now, to be fair, by all time, they meant by the end of 1963. <laughs> so... You got to give him a little leeway there. Uh, the awesome flying vulture. So, following that ignominious defeat, the vulture has been spending his time being the best behaved prisoner in the whole jail, except for that little part where he's smuggling things from the prison machine shop directly into his cell, which I'm pretty sure he learned from Lex Luthor. But. He does that, of course, so he can recreate his flying technology, this time correcting the flaw which caused his defeat last time. 
So perfecting the device, the vulture just sort of flies his way out of prison during the uh, exercise time. And Peter Parker hears about this breakout via the expositional news radio broadcast. And he goes after the old guy as Spider-Man, but not before being razzed pretty hard by Flash. Hoping – yeah, poor guy. (laughs) Hoping to use the same device that defeated the Vulture before because Peter has also read Spider-Man 2. But he is shocked, 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 I tell you, to find that the Vulture has corrected the flaw in his device. And the Vulture easily defeats Spider-Man and many in the streets of New York think, hey, maybe that J. Jonah Jameson guy is right. The Spider-Man's kind of overrated. Spidey does injure his arm in the process and has to come up with an excuse for that as Peter Parker. But fortunately, he was able to spin around and not land directly on his head. Zowie! That's what he says. He says Zowie. Peter goes to sell his vulture pickles pictures. (laughs) I would rather he said the vulture pickles. Whoa. Whoa. His pictures to Triple J. The vulture shows up to grab the bugle's payroll. While Jameson argues with the crook, Peter slips away and changes into Spider-Man, and they tussle all over the newspaper office when Spider-Man attaches a web line to the vile villain. The vulture takes him high above the city. Spidey webs up the vulture's wings. They start to fall. Then he weaves a web parachute to save them, turns the vulture over to the police, and when Jameson yells at Spidey for causing all that chaos in his newspaper office, hashtag fake news, Spider-Man <laughs> shoots webbing in his mouth before leaving the change back into his civilian guise, which at least shuts up Triple J for an hour or so. He then sneaks back into the office and hides out, quote-unquote, with Betty Brant, because that's what the kids are calling it these days. Hey, hides out with <laughs> Betty Brant as Jameson storms through the office trying to get the webbing off his mouth. And we admit it, this isn't a typical ending for a typical superhero tale, but we've never claimed that Spider-Man was a typical superhero. Now you should, hear that, you should hear that music as he's swinging away at the end of the 68 cartoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, I could hear it in my mind as you, as you were giving that finale there. <laughs> I got to say, of the four stories in this book, and I shouldn't compare them yet, but this is the one that I dug the most. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, I think this, this is the best one, but it, it, it falls into this definitely some Silver Age silliness here, and it falls into the Spider-Man formula that they had down pat by this time. You fight him once, you lose, then you regroup, and you beat him. Mm-hmm. That was so much the formula at this point. It's It was you know just done over and over again. Uh, but there's things about this issue that just reek of Silver Age goodness to me. Yeah, to me, this is early Marvel really sparkling. Yeah. I, I, like, the first thing that catches my eye, I love the shot of him basically levitating in his prison cell. <laughs> where he, he's got the, the, the prison duds that have, that have made into kind of a shawl 
so that he's kind of recreating the wingspan with it. Uh, and then he's just kind of floating there above his cot. Uh, and then, you know, when he escapes, there's just, you know, just the shots of him flying are just, you know, it's, it's fun Steve Ditko. But he's also got some things in here, some shadows and stuff that are, you know, pretty effective. Uh, where was it? Like very early on, there were a couple I saw that I thought that, that's really cool. Uh, th- but the story, it's I, I can't even come up with that offhand. I do love that Aunt May is wearing a Susquehanna hat. Uh, and I, I, you know, the the my probably the biggest thing about this that I didn't recall from this era that I really enjoyed is that Peter's kind of a smooth customer with Betty Brandt. I tell yeah. you, he's doing all end, right. He's, he's putting the moves on her, and he's hes just... You can even see she, the way Steve Ditko drew, drew her. Her eyes are, like, half closed, like she's already falling into a dreamy state just based on his uh, his smooth lines. Yeah, there, and that... Uh, it, definitely, because, you know, we do, have, we do have injured Pete. We have bullied Pete. We have hard luck, Pete, but then we do get this sort of triumphant Pete at the end. Don Both, uh, we'd say, professionally and personally. Yeah, I mean, the, the story is, like I said, it's kind of silly. Uh, hmm. You know, the, the the way the vulture robs things is just, I don't know. It, it, and this is something we're going to see repeated throughout this, this, this set of stories. It's just so incredulous that, you know, because he flies, he's got the world, uh, you know, nobody can deal with him. You can't figure out any way to deal with him because he's invulnerable. Well, he he flew out of the prison, uh-huh. which apparently uh-huh. has unarmed guards. Because <laughs> you you see this guy flying over the wall. In most cases, the prison guards would shoot. Yeah, take a shot. Yeah, yeah. that doesn't count as an escape. I think you are allowed to use some level of force there. Not yeah. To... You don't have to shoot to kill. You can shoot to wound. <laughs> Well, still. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I do believe that shoot to wound is a uh, fallacy. It is. And it, it just because you're you're supposed to shoot to be most effective. And, and you're supposed you to shoot to... to be the most likely where you're going to hit, which is the center mass. Right. Well, if this, but if this is New York in the early 1960s, I'm sure they had mercy bullets. Oh, of course. <laughs> that's just, that's if, it's, if it's New York in the 1960s, I don't know if they minded shooting to kill. <laughs> <laughs> That was not just that was not a bug that was a feature. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, another thing, you know, definitely Silver Age here is well, there are people outside, so how about I just check over every bit of my equipment and oh yeah, reader, you're here too. I'll explain it all as I go. <laughs> <laughs> yep, got my camera, it's got film in it. I've got my web shooters. Oh, I've got my new formula of web fluid which comes up later. Yes, it, well, I mean, it's it's perfect for this is someone's first issue because you get every bit of his supporting cast, you get everything. You know, this is what Spider-Man does. This is all his equipment. This is the kind of thing that he will go through. Like you said, it's it's the formula, but for something that came out in what sixty two, this sixty three, sixty three, this works fine. Mm-hmm. I like. Uh... Ditko's ability to make everybody look different and mm-hmm. make a lot of people look ugly. <laughs> as, yeah. as, probably, as, 
as the, part of that normal slash different. The only weakness to Ditko's portrayals, because Ditko's artwork is definitely, you know, of its own style. But probably the only weakness that I can see is his inability to draw teenagers as looking differentiated from, say, 20-somethings. Right. Yeah, because Flash looks like he could be in college right there. He looks like he could be done with college. Yeah, true. <laughs> so, th- I mean, that that's probably the only thing. And that's that's certainly not unique to Ditko. That's very, very common. I really love the way he draws the vulture's face to kind of almost have a avian look to it. With the hook nose and, yes. and the, the neck. Yeah, that's something that I've always associated with the vulture is he looks like a human vulture. And there's a great, to me, a great, great panel. It's around page 13. It's the vulture and Jameson. And oh, they're face to face. Yeah, they're yeah. The, they're in that profile, and you know, you shave off Jameson's hair, and you make his nose just a little bit, and you take away his teeth, and they're pretty much they're very close. <laughs> but I, that, to me, that was a great scene. His and whole that, his whole scheme there too. That's I was going to that. That <laughs> he's he's stealing the payroll, which is apparently in cash. <laughs> Yeah, because he, he actually refers to it as pay envelopes, not checks. You actually, here's the envelope with your cash in it. And the only thing is, well, I don't know if that was a practice in 1963. Maybe people did that. I have no idea. In Jonah's, ca- in Jonah's case, it would be cash and a lot of coins. Oh, yeah. He would not round up. I mean, let's <laughs> say. Well, when I first got out of college, which is in the 1980s, um, I got a job and they would reimburse you for your traveling expenses. So you'd have to submit, you know, at the end of the week, you'd submit your traveling expenses. And one of the supervisors would walk around on Monday and he'd hand you an envelope with cash in it that was for your traveling expenses. And if your traveling expenses was not an even amount, there would be coins in that envelope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if they were doing that in the 1980s, it doesn't shock me to think they might be giving payroll out in cash in the 1960s. Especially if you've got someone like Jameson who's been in the business for a while. He may not want to switch. You know, Daily Bugle's been doing this for 30 years. We're just going to stick with it. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, it was not uncommon, you know, in small businesses, certainly. even right. You know, when I was... Working like when I was in high school and, you know, as a delivery boy, they'd pay me in cash at the end of the week. But mm-hmm. that, you know, that was a different kind of job. This is, you know, this is a major corporation. It's a, you know, a New, a New York newspaper. But still, again, in the 1960s, things were not as technologically advanced as they are now. So it's not out of the question to my, in my mind for them to have paid off that way. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure what Jameson does at the end of his shift, he drives around all the newspaper boxes, gets the uh, gets the nickels and dimes, <laughs> ten cent paper, nickels and dimes, and then that's he literally nickels and dimes his uh, his employees. That's how he pays them. <laughs> straight cash, straight cash. Yep. <laughs> uh, See, so, you know, some of the dialogue in this, I I feel like some of the dialogue isn't as sharp as Stan would get with Spider-Man's sense of humor. Yeah. There, there's still some good ones in there. Like, are you sure you were never vaccinated with a phonograph needle? 
because Vulture will not shut up. You don't like this, Paul? Just go slide down a barbed wire fence, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think he got more clever as it went on. I think he, oh, um, yeah. as the character developed more and he realized that that was part of his shtick, I think he went out of his way to come up with more creative lines for him. It seems a little weird for the Vulture to be using a gun, even though not, not really. it makes I mean, sense that he, that he would. Yeah. It just isn't something I associate with that character. See, when I was first introduced to the Vulture in the 80s, where he actually did pretty much the same thing. He was actually in physical therapy, and he met Aunt May's boyfriend at the time. Nathan Lubensky? Yes. And Nathan, you know, gave him the pep talk and, hey, of course, I'm, I'm only as young as I, I want to be, you know, old, well, only as old as I want to be. And he cannibalized whatever machinery was around the hot tub and flew out of there with using his bathrobe as the wings. So this this is very reminiscent of that. But even yeah. in that, he would he would carry a gun. You know, I invited him here one day, and he turned my toaster oven into a flying device. Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently he can, turn, he can turn anything into a flying device, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but it, it makes sense. He doesn't have really any powers. He's got an amazing suit that can fly, but he doesn't have any super strength or anything. So, yeah, I'm going to fly into the jewelry store window, pull a gun, take all the jewels, and fly back out. It, reading this, though, it, it's got me thinking of how impressed I am, which I always have been, but it's, it's even more so just bringing this home again, with how good of a job they did kind of recreating the character of the Vulture with Michael Keaton and yet having him be, you know, significantly younger and threatening, you know, mm. not not looking like an old man. Uh, so, you know, I'm just I, I, the way they did the outfit and everything for him. I, I, I think they made a lot of really good choices in that movie. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So anything more on this or should we give our rating for this book? And I guess just to, to state uh, this book, the cover of Marvel Tales uh, it has a yellow background and it's got four individual covers on it, which are the I assume the, the original covers to each of these issues. They so, are yes. So you, we can we can actually rate the cover and the story for each one individually. Well, I well out of solidarity to myself, buying this cover list, I refuse to participate. I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll participate. <laughs> Well, it's your your story, so you go first on it. Well, I am looking at the cover now, and uh, you know it's 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 uh, it's okay. I like the uh, we don't have a uh, we don't have a you know a speech bubble, but we do have a thought bubble mm. on the cover, which is sort of an strange strange touch you do sort of see some of those you know in here in these early days you know we talked about getting a formula but they still are experimenting with some things like that um so that's okay you get the the bald 
Vulture, uh, Vulture's return. Eh. So, uh, you know, I'm not so, – you know, the cover's fine. It's a B. The, uh, I think the strength of this between uh, you know, somewhere the story and the art and, and, and how they work together. Um, the only thing is the coincidence of the Vulture going to rob the Bugle after fighting Spidey. And Peter has to be at the bugle, uh, you know that that mm. huge coincidence. But it's a pretty great fight in the bugle, and let that be a lesson. Uh, open floor plans a real problem. <laughs> they had walls and, uh, and glass partitions. This never would have happened. Stairwells, there would have been no room for for a fight. But uh, that I give it. Uh, I give the story, you know, somewhere in the B plus A minus range. I might put the story to B plus, art at the at an A minus. I think I think the action, the stuff in the sky, and the fight through the building are both I think really well, uh, really well done. Everybody does look like an individual, um, so that's an A minus. So B plus overall. I'm in a generous grading mood. What can I say? <laughs> It's the beginning of the semester. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I got a lot tougher on final exam time. I'm just uh-huh. let that be known. <laughs> the uh, the cover on this, I'm actually I'm going to give it a C plus because it is just it's the vulture wing spread Spider Man in not such a dynamic pose swinging in and a blue sky behind him. So there's really it's kind of basic, really. So, yeah, I'll go with a C-plus on that. Uh, the story, taking it as it came out in 1963, the story actually hits all the beats, like I said before. Uh, you get all the characters introduced. It is the perfect, if someone wants this to be a first issue, it, it works out really well. Yeah, there's a lot of co- coincidence in here. There's the... Has you know, Spider-Man apparently only he can upgrade his equipment. He doesn't expect anyone else to, so he loses pretty easily in the beginning. But it was still enjoyable, so I'm gonna I'll say B plus on the story. And the art, Ditko is is still very good. Don't get me wrong, but he's not quite at the level he would get later on with Spider-Man, so he's still kind of feeling some stuff out, and it's still a little on the cartoony side, especially when the Vulture has his, oh, I'll rob the payroll, and he's got this brains (laughs) look on his face. (laughs) Uh, So I'll I'll give the the art a B. So probably a a B overall for this chapter of the book. All right. Uh, I tend to agree with you that the cover is a little simplistic, uh, but it's you know it's effective in what it does. I'm going to already jump ahead and just give a little spoiler that it, it's probably the best of the four covers. Um, but anyway, uh, I'm going to say a C plus on the cover. Uh, the interior art. Um, I think I'm a little higher on it than you are. Uh, I, I just, I, to me, it's just dripping with Ditko goodness. Uh, it's, it's moody. It, it, it gets the story told really well. 
Uh, there's just a lot of panels that I, I found myself stopping to, to admire. Uh, so I'm going to say a B-plus on the artwork. I really like it. And the story, the plot line is silly. The resolution with the web parachute is silly. But it's fun. And uh, I'm going to say a B on, on, the, uh, on the story. And overall, I'll give this particular chapter of the book a B. It's all downhill from here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but it might be more fun to listen to at that point. Yeah, true. <laughs> so the next story was Dr. Bill's, which is the Strange Tales number 102 uh, from November of 1962, The Human Torch, Prisoner of the Wizard. Uh, so none of us were going to uh, do this one, but uh, we'll, we'll work our way through it just the same. Mm. Uh, it starts off where moviegoers are watching newsreels so i think we're dating the story right there of the yeah. human torches exploits and it happens to be the exploits of strange tales number 101 <laughs> one issue earlier <laughs> and the wizard who is a really weird looking dude uh and and apparently of quite renowned for his brilliance uh is interested in matching his powers uh, against the torches, and I guess his powers are that he's smart. But you're so, right. I mean, he, he just looks so sad. You want to say why the long face? Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 he's just very strange. I, I had to get that in before one of you did. So it's like so, if Vincent Price was made of silly putty, and someone just stretched <laughs> his head. We we follow him to his home, which is all tech, way technologically advanced based upon his inventions, which includes the coolest chair ever. Hmm. It's just made of I'll air. One of yeah, well, I'll take I'll take a bunch of those. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and then he he's kind of pr thinking back to all his achievements, uh, which include you know escaping from a, uh, being chained up inside a safe. And, uh, well, I guess that's the achievement that he, he thinks of. Yeah. Uh, but then he decides that he's going to lure the torch in, and he comes up with this thing where he's going to drill to the center of the earth and fakes being trapped inside it so that the torch will rescue him. And then he goes back to his house to show it to the torch and thank him for all saving him and everything. So then while they're there, the torch walks into a trap where he's sprayed with water on his entire body, except for his face, because at this time they thought the human torch had a secret identity. So his face is still flaming so that you can't see it. Uh, so in part two, the wizard, you know, locks him up in a, uh, you know, like a vault of some sort and then disguises himself as the torch with his inventions that, you know, basically is a suit that burns and then a flying, uh, jet and he goes to the bank and robs the bank but makes the people think it's the human torch doing it he goes to a prison and frees all the prisoners <laughs> and then he sa he sets up a flaming toll gate on a bridge and will only let the cars pass if they pay a hundred dollar uh toll what is this new york city <laughs> it's practically yeah that's <laughs> practically what it is verrazano is now <laughs> So at the same time this is going on, the torch is finally dried off, and he goes into, although he doesn't call it, he goes into his Nova Flame and burns out of the uh, 
the asbestos vault and then finally confronts the wizard who is taunting him by showing him his photographs that will uh you know that will prove to you that it was me prove your innocence and he hang he holds them over a uh over a fire that he's going to burn them and that the torch won't be able to ever prove that it wasn't him that did all these evil things and the torch pretends he's got this brain power that uh, which uses telekinesis to pull the pictures out of his hands. The wizard says it's impossible, but the torch says uh, it is not. My will is stronger than yours, and I have vanquished you. The, the wizard, again with a long face, says, <laughs> uh, I challenged the torch, the torch, and I lost. I'm beaten. And it turns out the prison take the, the police take him off, and then we see that the telekinesis he used was actually the invisible girl helping him out. Da, 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 torch. <laughs> What'd you guys oh, think man. of this gem? <laughs> well, this is the second time I've read this story, and I didn't like it any better this time than the first time. <laughs> the whole Johnny Storm has a secret identity bit never made sense because he's got a public identity in the Fantastic Four. And it the the story itself is just kind of ridiculous, especially when you have the wizard saying my one of my greatest achievements was escaping from this safe that someone threw, you know, that they threw me in the river. You know, big escape artist. Well, I invented this gas that will expand with such a force that can even break through a steel safe without with crushing him, him in it. <laughs> Yeah, I noticed that when I read yeah. it. It's like, okay, uh, you're I mean, look, I'm I'm no Blaine Dowler, but I think that uh, human bones are much stronger than six inches of steel. We'll sit, uh, never mind. <laughs> you really are no Blaine Dowler. <laughs> <laughs> and the the whole premise of it, I am self against a member of the Fantastic Four, the Human Torch. Yeah, why is wait a why minute? Is this, why is this the one thing lacking in his life? Yeah, is beating the Human Torch. Well, I've never beaten the Human Torch. That's lacking in my life too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but Paul, it's not the one thing lacking in your life. I'm sorry. You've got a few other things. No judgment. I love you, man. <laughs> but you lack. You'd that. never know it. That's, that's <laughs> the one thing left on his list. So, so you you do have that premise problem. Yeah, I, I would say the, the whole story is just basically if you told someone, OK, we've got this character. He's the human torch. He's got the invisible girl as his sister. Go. <laughs> <laughs> and they knew nothing else about the character. Then maybe it would work. But we're talking about the guy that invented the character. See, they eventually Actually, retcon it that Johnny thought he had a secret identity, but everybody else no knew it and just did. humored yeah. him. Humored him. That, right. that, but that doesn't explain that how does the not... wizard doesn't know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, guys, you were you were just uh, not not fully explaining because it's not just Sue Storm, as the footnote on page six says. It's Sue Storm, better known as the Invisible Girl, female member of the Fantastic Four. Or, because, as, she, as because she calls herself on the last page, the Invisible Gal. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, they have to say female member of the Fantastic Four right. because well, otherwise Sue you might think she's the thing. Girl. Yeah. yeah, they weren't. That wasn't enough clue. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. No, uh, but no, but the, that actually, to me, I think we're missing. That. I mean, obviously, the wizard. This to me is a pretty genius long-term plan, and he's playing. He's playing the long game because he coats him in asbestos, and like fifty years later. Johnny's dead. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. I mean, yes, it's a long-term plan. Of course, he also... Asbestos, that, that's going to get him eventually. Yeah. He also coated his own suit with asbestos on the inside, <laughs> so he'll be right in the hospital bed next to him. Can you say mesothelioma? <laughs> I know a John- bunch of lawyers that can. <laughs> so Johnny can pro- uh, probably not. No, actually, he probably can't. No. No, he he can't. He can barely say it. He would definitely wouldn't be able to spell it. <laughs> but in a world that I mean, that one part of the concept actually is, is okay, and that's the idea that in a world of costumed villains, you would have lots of copycats. Yeah, I mean, it's it's if if it's only about the costume, anyone can wear that costume and do good, can do bad, can do indifferent. Um, so that's, I mean, there's something there. Mm. Yeah. I mean, just like the chameleon, amazing Spider-Man number one. <laughs> I didn't say it was original. I said, <laughs> work with me. Mm. But, I, but Sue does not do much, you know, effective in the FF book, but she was the heroine here. Yeah, she saved the day. That's something. Yeah, that's true. But why why would the, the wizard just admit defeat like that anyway? In all seriousness. You know, okay, yeah. you got the cards for my hand. Ooh. <laughs> well, the pictures for my hand. Yeah. yeah. What, what is that? Uh, yeah. Well, he, he probably, it's one of these things where he's never lost before. And just the fact that he got beaten and by this rube, it, it shattered his psyche. Well, it is setting the tone. I guess, you know, this is the introduction of the character of the wizard who, you know, we see many more times with the Frightful Four and all of that. And we're, we're setting him up for basically being defeated by his own ego on many occasions. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I, I you know, there's a they, they make the same comment sometimes about supporting characters in movies or TV show. It's like you know, the character realizes that someone that the show is named after someone else, and and I I, I I think here it's almost that you know the wizard realizes oh we're on page twelve of a thirteen page story I should be <laughs> it's probably time for me to admit defeat right mm-hmm. <laughs> he's now I mean they, they both uh, they both get defeated by their own. Uh, Egos often, but who is actually smarter, the wizard or the mad thinker? I would I, I would say that it's the wizard because some of the wizard stuff actually works. For, for, and for practicality's sake, yeah, he has got himself a pretty epic, futuristic robot house. Yeah, you know, you know, it's funny because you know, I, I used to. Which he does say has made him millions. So mm. at least smart That's enough to patent, patent things 
which is uh, you know what uh, many uh, many heroes and villains forget that little minor technicality. Yeah, I used to play poker fairly frequently. Now I play once in a while, but uh, you know I learned from watching on TV some of the percentages. You know, if you have this, and the other person has that, you have this percentage of a chance to win. So. When I when I was kind of more up on it and I'd be in a hand and it was me against one other person and we'd have that situation, I would say what the odds are. And I felt like the mad thinker when I had like an 82% chance to win and then I would turn around and lose. <laughs> I didn't anticipate the human element. I didn't anticipate that you would get two aces in a row. Yeah. <laughs> but this isn't a mad thinker story, so I shouldn't go no. off on my poker stories. I'll save that for when we cover the mad thinker one day. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, just, again, so many silly things about this. Uh, you know, he robs the bank. No one can stop him. Uh, yeah. Water. Have you considered that? <laughs> <laughs> but any, anyway, uh, you know, just, just, just why he's even out to get the human torch. If you're as smart as he is and you can make millions of dollars – on your inventions, why do you want to rob the bank? Yeah, I mean, what, just let the torch be on his way. You you will be fine. You'll actually be a lot more wealthy <laughs> if and you legal. Just leave well enough alone. It's, isn't there something else he could invent? I mean, I'm just stuck on this. There's one last quest unfulfilled yeah. in my life. I mean, you made the floating air chair. How about the floating air sofa? Yeah. See, I'm just throwing out options here. We're, we're just spitballing, brainstorming. The floating and, and thing. The, the that, thing should, that should be enough to put the you the in Bezos' territory. <laughs> Who just bought like a $225 million house, I heard. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> anyway, I guess we can rate this one and uh, – since I did the synopsis on this, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, the cover of Strange Tales 102 has two square boxes and one rectangular one underneath it uh, with the three stories that were contained in that issue. The rectangular one, which is the width of the cover, is The Torch versus the Wizard. Uh, nothing special going on in this one, I don't feel. And it's kind of overwhelmed by having the three different boxes on it which is kind of ironic considering we're doing a reprint book that has four separate covers on it one of which has three boxes on it <laughs> um, but i'm going to say this one in particular i'm going to give just a c for the cover the interior art is so silly and yet moody just i, I I, I laugh at and enjoy the wizard's face so much in the story, uh, but it's not well drawn. His face, it's just ugly. Uh, the story itself, I don't think it stands out as being particularly innovative in any way in the art. It's just competent. So based upon that, just because there's a couple of panels I like a little bit more, I'm going to raise it up just a little above average and say a C plus. And the story is Silver Age silly again. Uh, the premise makes no sense whatsoever, 
but it's kind of fun to read. So I'm going to say a C plus on that as well, and I'm just going to give the book a C plus or this issue, this chapter of this book a C plus. Hmm. Yeah, I thought the uh, I thought the cover. What I like about this era, uh, especially on the Marvel side, is that we're really straddling the end of the sci-fi era, moving into the superhero era. And so you're still working with some of those golden age sci-fi tropes. So I kind of like the cover. We got man versus robot, secret of the hidden planet. We got these, you know, sort of spaceship ray gun type of stories. And, and then we also have this one. So, I mean, it doesn't work reprinted and shrunk and, and, and all of that. I'm not saying it's great, but, you know, C plus, I think, for, for the cover. Um, the the story it's it's not just a standard story of this era. The problem is it's a standard human torch strange tale story of this era, which is kind of a little below average. Uh, plot holes, things that don't make sense, a premise that doesn't make sense. So I, I'm going to go actually go with C minus on the story, but I do like the art. I do like. <laughs> The uh, the wizard's geek, he has a look, and it's a consistent look. Um, you know, and they, they would develop you know better techniques for demonstrating the torch's power, you know, and 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 his you know his character model, but you know this is what they had at the time, and 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 it's consistent. So I think that pulls it up maybe to a B for the art, but still I'm sort of overall with you in the C plus range. Uh, all right, well the cover. Cover actually reminds me a lot of a Tales from the Crypt cover, where okay, all these different stories in here. Uh, it tells you exactly what you're to expect inside the book. So I'm I'm just going to give it a C. It's not great. It's not horrible. It does the job. Uh, the interior art, they, you have some decent angles on things. Uh, some nice some nice shots. My major issue is the wizard is never drawn the same way twice. Any panel you look at of the wizard, it, his face is different from any other panel in this book. And I, is I that just, wrong? I, well, <laughs> his clay face is melting a little more every page. Yeah, and his facial hair is dramatically different. From that is true. <laughs> Uh, so that I have a, I have trouble with, and yeah, the, I can get, the human torch is actually fairly on model, except for the, uh, the floaty fingers that he has. So I'm going to, I'm going to give the interior art a C minus. Now the story. <laughs> the Where do we sto- start? Where do we start? Uh. They don't really pull off the secret identity bit very well because it's hardly ever mentioned. It's every, you know, a couple of people say, oh, do you know who he is? No, not me. Wizards, oh, I wonder who the human torch is. And then that's it. You know, Johnny has to find a place to flame off at some point. Other than that, it's really not any anything in here. You know, it doesn't affect the story at all. So, and the wizard's plot is just goofy. So I'm I'm actually going to give the story a D. Uh, 
And that would make the overall book probably a C minus, or the overall chapter anyway. You know what? Uh, you, that is why Gene's uh, 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 efforts online are called the Hammer Strikes. He just <laughs> brought down the hammer on this story. <laughs> and, 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 and speaking, speaking of, hammer, of the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, we have the for the mighty. Because someone mixed that up. Uh, this was originally presented in Journey into Mystery number 86 from November 1962. Uh, the original on sale date then was September 4th, 1962. Our plotter is Stan Lee. Our scripter is his brother, Larry Lieber. Penciler is Jack Kirby. Inker, Dick Ayers. And the lettered letterer is Artie Simek. On the tiny little cover on the front... We have Thor flying through a disappearing figure while saying something we can't read because of the banner, but I happen to know because I looked at the cover. How can I defeat the Tomorrow Man when he can fade into a different year before I can catch him? On the splash page of this chapter, we see Thor looking shocked. Shocked, I tell you, as he's surrounded by three huge robots while the Tomorrow Man gloats off to the side. The story then begins on the next page. We are introduced to the world of the 23rd century. No, not that 23rd century. That's a few years off yet. This one has a mankind that has fully embraced peace and has scrapped all of its weapons. Almost everyone, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Almost everyone is content with this. The one dissenter is Zarko, a scientist who has invented a time machine in order to leave the civilization. He wants to travel back to the past and steal weapons that will enable him to conquer his present. He Yay. homes in <laughs> He homes in on the mid-20th century, attracted by the atomic testing. In the present year of 1962, Thor is in the desert, helping the Air Force test new missiles. First, a missile is fired. Then an anti-missile is fired. And then Thor streaks after them both. Thor beats the anti-missile to the missile, but only by a very narrow margin. This means that the anti-missile is fast, since Thor is the measuring device, radar not having been invented yet, apparently. After he returns, the technicians hook Thor up to some measuring devices next to a cobalt bomb. Since Thor can withstand the bomb blast, he thinks, this will give the scientists data on a human's psychological reactions on being caught in a nuclear explosion. Let me say that again. <laughs> Thor will give them data on a human's psychological reaction. Okay, then. Before the countdown reaches zero, however, Zarko's time machine appears, and he steals the bomb. Thor throws his hammer, but it passes through the time machine as it disappears, knocking off a little piece. The scientists and the Air Force brass quickly determine that the man was a time traveler from the future. Okay. And Thor enlists Odin's help. Odin tells him to take the piece of metal he picked up from the time machine, tie it to Mjolnir, and spin his hammer as fast as possible. This transports Thor to the year 2262, and he is quickly on the trail of Zarko. Good thing he was wearing his red indestructible cape. <laughs> Apparently, Zarko returned the previous month 
and has been ruling as a tyrant ever since. Everyone is in constant fear that he will explode the bomb, so they go along with whatever he says. Zarko is alerted to Thor's presence and sends guards to seize him. On their way to Thor's location, a black-robed figure snaps a large tree off and blocks their path, causing them to crash. Thor and his new ally run to Zarko's headquarters, where Thor is dropped into a room full of magnetic mirrors. These mirrors throw Thor around as Zarko turns the power on and off. Before the game can go on too long, though, Mjolnir smashes through the control box. Shocked, Zarko sees that the black-robed figure was actually Thor, and the person in the trap was a decoy. Good thing they have well-stocked costume shops in the 23rd century. (laughs) Zarko pulls out a Delta Electron gun and shoots Thor, sending him into another dimension. Before the portal can close, though, Superman, I mean Thor, takes a breath and blows so hard that he forces the passage between dimensions to open again. Zarko flees and activates his giant robots, which don't have numbers on them for some reason, one of which grabs Thor's hammer very quickly. As the seconds tick away, Thor tears up the floor to reveal a water main while the robots stand around and watch him. Breaking the water pipe, Thor floods the room, which causes the robots to short out. The one holding Mjolnir relaxes its grip, and Thor retrieves his hammer with one second left. Thor then runs into a hangar just in time to see Zarko board and launch a ship. He promises that if he can't use the sea bomb to rule the world, then he will destroy it. Thor taps his hammer. Yeah, no, on... yeah. <laughs> if I can't have it, no one can. <laughs> Thor taps his hammer on the ground twice, causing a storm to appear, which buffets the ship and causes Zarko to lose control. The bomb is released, and Thor flies up to catch it as Zarko's ship crashes. Zarko is pulled out of the wreck, injured but alive, and without his memory. The medic on scene assures us that his memory will never return. Right. Until it does. (laughs) After basking in the gratitude of the populace, Thor spins his hammer again and returns to 1962 with the C-bomb, which he turns back over to the Air Force and asks them to never speak of it again. <laughs> Later, Dr. Don Blake returns to his office where we are treated to the obligatory love triangle between two people and a Clark Kent wink at the reader. Boy, Stan Jack really wanted to write Superman, didn't they? <laughs> In this issue, they did. But they wanted to what? They wanted to write Silver Age Superman. No kidding, did they? I mean, right down to we're going to watch the years pass by as he goes through through time. Oh, man. It's, I do wish I was one of these military officers, though, because that way I'd never have to mention this again. Right. <laughs> but unfortunately, I have to mention it right now. <laughs> <laughs> don't, you, don't you read a book like this and wonder, how did I become such a big Thor fan? One word, Simonson. <laughs> there you go. That's what I read before I read any of this stuff. I was a Thor fan before Simonson wrote Thor, so I have no excuse. Well, Roy Thomas was pretty decent. Was Roy Thomas for me. <laughs> I came, I think when I started, I think Jerry Conway was writing it. For okay. A period. And then... 
I mean, I went back and forth with different creators, and then was it? Did Roy Thomas do it when they did the uh, Rings of Nibelung? Yes, that was Roy Thomas. That was Roy Thomas. Okay, so I yeah. was that was that was probably really what cemented me. But I mean, I had been collecting for a while by the time they did that. Mm-hmm. But that was like at at once they came out with that, I didn't even need the Simonson one to feel like I had a real connection to the character because I just thought that was so well done. Even oh, though I yeah. know a lot of people who I know a lot of people who don't care for that particular oh, uh, one of my favorites run, but I, I thought it was terrific. Anyway, but back to the Tomorrow Man. <laughs> Uh, he, so he's, you know, we, we have the vulture who's been a, you know, a significant Spider-Man villain for years, uh, mm-hmm. to the, to the extent, to point where they put him in homecoming. So he's actually been, you know, portrayed on screen. The wizard, you know, started as a human torch villain and eventually became a fantastic four villain. So, you know, and, and the leader of the frightful four. So he, he's been a significant character over the years. Tomorrow, man, now we're getting a little bit more obscure. Yeah, <laughs> I think Tomorrow Man has probably appeared, I don't know, maybe a dozen times total. Yeah, it's only a handful of times in, in the entire, what, 70 years? But Well, no, 50, 50 years. 50 years? Well, oh, well, it's coming up on 60, 60 years, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. I forget how old I am. Uh, <laughs> but he, it's, uh, you know, but, but in, in almost 60 years, he's appeared a few times, and they've revived him, and you've had creators who said, oh, this is a cool character, for to, or this is a character for me to try and make cool, I think is probably a better yeah. way to, to say it. Uh, but he's come back a little bit, and so, so you know, we, 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 we've got a little bit of a decreasing level of villain here. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. noticing a trend here. <laughs> but yeah. but we, we still have a character who's had multiple, experience, uh, multiple appearances. So let's see where we go from here after this one. But let's talk about this one for a little while. <laughs> Just trying to lay some groundwork here. Kind of like Thor being gifted temporary time travel powers. Temporary time think, travel, temporary I can withstand I, a cobalt I, bomb powers. I think that's a nice way to give a needed power for this adventure without overpowering the character or changing the nature of it, like to to do that on a permanent basis. Yeah, it, it, it's nice that he, ha- he has to come up with a technique, to come up with a trick. Yeah, that, he has that, to have that, something this, to home this, in on. Yeah, for this one, this just this once, to make it a just this once power. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I think it, it was wise that they made it a just this once power, but the way they made it a just this once power well, okay, doesn't yes. fly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, don't you know if he spins his hammer around fast enough, he can do anything? No, yeah, I that's... don't. <laughs> but, but back back in back in this era, yes, if he spun his his hammer fast enough, he could do almost anything. And the things he couldn't do by spinning his hammer, he could get it by tapping it a certain number of times on the ground. Yes. <laughs> if I tap it sixteen times, you'll do you'll do the moonwalk. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I mentioned the specific. He did it twice, therefore. But <laughs> unless you go by the, well, he has to will the change to happen. Anytime after the first, he's Don Blake. <laughs> yeah. So it, it logically, it ever since his first appearance, that's never made sense. But the whole, the whole thing of. Thor being the measuring device that the, the the Air Force is using to test stuff is you can record the speed on your own. 
<laughs> you don't need him there. It's just, you know what? It's, it's a pretty simple formula. You find out the distance and the mm-hmm. amount of time it took to cover it. And that it's will like, tell you the speed. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, the, the anti-missile almost got there, but Thor got there first. Well, then the anti-missile would have gotten there. <laughs> it would have hit the target uh, at the uh, right speed. So, success! <laughs> that I, is a I, good point. <laughs> I also I also have an issue with in these this era of comics that you know the, the hero would al- always be just like randomly helping the government do a test or mm. uh, the hero is putting on a show for the small children in the orphanage or you know so whatever thing is going on like things that just don't make sense that they actually happen and I think it went more with the DC world where the heroes were so much more revered. Mm. than it did in the Marvel world, which even even in the Silver Age, even in this silly, silly Silver Age, were still more anchored in realism that the public, you know, didn't always totally trust them, you know, question their motivations. Uh, you know, it, it, it just seems like too clever of a plot device or too convenient of a plot device that he's just helping us test our nuclear weapons. Yeah. Really? <laughs> and for how how powerful this bomb is supposed to be they're not really all that far away are they <laughs> if you look at page four of the story with thor hooked up to all the they're they're measuring his psyche by me, putting the stuff on his arms and legs but whatever the <laughs> The bunker is right there. It's not yeah. even over the hill. It's on top of the hill. Mm-hmm. Well, I know what we're all thinking. Where's Rick Jones when we really need him? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I did think that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just so silly. The, the the villain just transports in, grabs the cobalt bomb, and runs away. <laughs> well, that's actually the smartest thing in the whole comic. And yet still silly. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite artistic touch here is on page five of the story, the bottom left corner panel mm. with Thor standing in the rain. Yeah, that's nice. That's I nice. It's, it's a real, just a really nice rendered shot. Uh, I like the fact that Odin, if you you know when you follow these books, Odin never seems to wear the same outfit twice ever. Which makes those sixties cartoons really fun because it's oh you know. <laughs> I'm done wearing this for five minutes. I have to go change. Yes, we're in the middle of the same conversation, but I'm wearing a new outfit. (laughs) It's one of my godlike powers. Yeah. Art-wise, I like the start. I like I like the future. I like the uh, the 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 curviness Mm -hmm. of twenty-two sixty-two. Both uh, sort of the top-down shot we get all the big colorful buildings and things flying at different, you know, hovering or flying at different depths. Um, we've got these sort of cool flying machines. I like, I, I like the, the, the futuristic Kirby world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's Kirby's bread and butter right there. Yeah. So those first four panels really good. Mm-hmm. Light of the story might be the highlight of the story. <laughs> Yeah, it's, but again, it's this it's it's this weird mix of sci-fi slash uh, you know slash hero. You know, we're at that. You know, we're, we're 
that the point where those two things are really mixed mixed together in our comics. Can we make an unintentional by unintentional by Stan and Jack connection with this book and say that the character on the bottom left of page three is Thunderbolt Ross? It, yeah, he was an oh, Air, yeah. Air Force <laughs> general. Yeah. <laughs> Because I, I don't think that was their intent at all, but he is drawn in a similar fashion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it would it would make a connection probably where they didn't intend one. You're right, but it would make sense if they're out in the desert testing a new weapon system because that's how the Hulk showed up. Is they were testing the gamma bomb. Mm-hmm. Well, now they switch to the cobalt bomb, so it it would make sense that he would be in charge of that mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. He did such a bang-up job the first time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why they had Thor in, because, well, you know, we can't screw this up again. <laughs> Is the Hulk available? <laughs> interesting. Just just the, the future people are not particularly good-looking. I, I, and their clothes are not all that... Interesting. No. I think that, that that's what, in terms of the future design, the 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 clothing is definitely one one place where that was uh, not uh, not a lot of time was put into that. I think. Uh, to be oh, fair, mm-hmm. uh, when can you, and I, I'm going to throw it out to you. Can you give me an example of any movie, oh, comic, God. TV oh, show, oh, anything? Oh, where they did futuristic clothing and you thought, yes, this was good, and this this is what I think they would be wearing in the future. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give me uh, any? No, no. Uh, one, Earth Final Conflict. Granted, it was the near future. It was, I think it was supposed to be like 2100 or something like that. But they had some fairly decent-looking fashions on that show. And they were futuristic? They were futuristic, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll accept I that. I don't know what while. they were wearing. <laughs> but I'll accept that you're accurate. Of course, in 1962, jeans and a hoodie would have been futuristic, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm generally not seeing outfits that I think, uh, you know, in, in these things where I think, yeah, that's what people are going to wear. Uh, a lot of the things, they all wear the same. You know, they're, they're just... I guess they've decided fashion doesn't matter, and they will just wear the same outfit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Everyone in the society dresses the same. Yeah. And otherwise, they, you know, I, I think of uh, Star Trek Three when uh, when they were out, I guess socially, mm-hmm. and and you see the outfits they wear. I mean, they definitely look different enough from what we wear. That it's you know it's enough to catch your eye and say well you know that's that's different whether or not it's accurate to what they would be wearing 300 years in the future I don't know but you know I guess it had it had some element going for it that it was you know that they put some thought into it at least right mm-hmm. and it it still passed as clothing when they came back in time in Star Trek IV because mm-hmm. they were in the same outfits and I will go with Jenny Agutter in uh, Logan's Run. Okay. Just just because I like the way she looked in it. <laughs> so, back to this story. Uh, anything more, or should we rate it? 
No, nah, I think we can read it. Most of my comments were in my <laughs> summary, so. So, okay, let's let, have at it, Gene. Okay, on the cover, it's, you know, a superhero cover. Act, we actually get uh, some action with Thor flying towards us, going, passing through Zarko. Kind of, sort of, what was going on, because the hammer did go through the ship. So, I'm going to give that a, a C plus. It could be better, but it, it gives you the, a good idea of what's going on. Uh, the art inside, I I liked I liked the way Kirby draws the the tech. I like you know how he's got the characters on model, which you know he was basically doing the book at the time, so it makes sense. Some of it is a little silly. Uh, you know, the bl- being blasted through the dimensional barrier looks like he's being sh- shot into a volcano. Uh, but, you know, overall, I would say the art's probably a B. Nothing horrible in it. The story, on the other hand, <laughs> if this was a 50 Superman book, I wouldn't have any problem with it because I would fit right in with it for a Thor story. Even of this time, it's, it's just, it's too out there. It is. He's got powers. He's never had before with the, the super breath, the time travel. I can kind of give a pass cause that's an Odin hand wave, but it's still, still odd. Uh, and like you were saying, the, and, Oh, we obviously trust this guy to help the military test stuff, but none of the other heroes. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give the story a C minus. So let's. I think that's a, a C overall for for this part of the book. All right, uh, Alan, you want to go? Or you want me to go? I can go. Um, I know you can. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the uh, I, I think the cover's pretty good. I do like uh, the Thor flying at us. Um, when you read what he was saying, I didn't really dig that. But the good thing is this version of the cover covers that up. So that's actually an improvement. So uh, that that uh, the, the fact that I can't read it uh, that raises it up to a B minus. Um, the in, interior art, like I said, I really like the those Kirby machines and buildings and, and vehicles, all that design stuff. So clothes and hair weren't necessarily futuristic. Uh, uh, my expectation of that, but I thought there was energy uh, to the story, pacing, and all all of those things. So I, you know, the art's the certainly the strength of it. So I'll go with a, a B plus on the art. And, you know, Gene and Paul, I mean, we already talked about the, the details of, of the story. You know, best thing I can say about it, it's a full, complete 13-page story. <laughs> it is not decompressed, whatever. It, would be, it's a, it is mega-compressed. <laughs> it is super-compressed. Um, you know, and it's it's decent enough. Again, but CC minus. Uh, but the art's going to probably pull it up maybe to a B minus overall for me. All right. Well, the cover, 
I would say the cover rivals the Spider-Man cover as far as these four in, in quality. I think I gave that a B. So I think I'm going to give this a B as well because I would say it's about at the same level. Uh, the interior art, for the most part, I'm pretty happy with it. I think it tells tells the story well. Most of the renderings are pretty good. I don't like the shot of uh, Tomorrow Man running with the bomb. It just doesn't look natural. Mm-hmm. But the ones that I don't like are few and far between. The other, the, I, I don't really care for the time travel element of having the years roll by. Uh, but short of that, I'm pretty happy with everything in here. I think... Uh, you know, Kirby's starting to get his legs a little bit on this book. And the story, on the one hand, I think it's incredibly silly. I think it uses some plot devices that are just, you know, like the, well, I'll give you time travel for now because it fits our story, but otherwise you can't do this no more. Uh, or the working with the military to test their weapons for them and just happen to have a cobalt bomb sitting there for him to run out and grab. Just, just some silly elements to it. On the other hand... He introduces a villain that, while has never met his potential, I think has the potential to be good in a story at some point. A guy who's from the future, much like Kang, uh, and decides to use future tech to come back in time and, and uh, you know, be dominant. Uh, I think it would be more, actually more intriguing to do it that way than it is for him to come back in time to get a bomb and bring it back to the future with him. But anyway, mm. uh, I think there is some potential there that that's never been met. Uh, so the story, I'll say a B minus. Uh, so overall, I'm going to say a, just a B on the book, on the story that it's, you know, it's okay. It's stupid at points, but it's kind of fun and a B. <laughs> So our final story of this book is from Tales to Astonish number 39, January 1963. I believe this is somewhere around the sixth or seventh appearance of Ant-Man. And the story is called The Vengeance of the Scarlet Beetle. Uh, So... The story opens and it shows Ant-Man and it's given, you know, gives you a little background on him again, except he's receiving uh, electronic waves from the ants. Something has to be brewing in the insect world and the patterns are erratic, so it's probably something strange and dangerous. So Hank Pym takes his shrinking gas and decides to go out and investigate. And he's got this weird little thing that catapults him from the building, uh, like kind of like a trick brick that, that flips open to let him catapult out and then must close behind him so that nobody knows he was there. <laughs> and, and then he's got a pile of ants that, that get there so that he can land softly on them. And anyway, he, he follows uh, where they're having the problems and down in the sewer there's a beetle a big pink beetle who was exposed to radiation and much like many things in marvel obtained super abilities due to it so the, the beetle is now has now got genius mental ability uh paul i believe technically that beetle is scarlet that's what it <laughs> says in the title don't let your lying eyes tell you anything else <laughs> It's very light, Scarlet. Vengeance of the Fuchsia Beetle. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> anyway, uh, so 
he's 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 communicating with the insect world and exp- explaining to them that he's been given a brain the equal of any human and therefore they should rule because there's more of them than there are people. Now uh, if the wizard wanted to go against this guy, mm-hmm. now crossover <laughs> from earlier in the issue, maybe we'd have something. Now I for one welcome our Scarlet Beetle Masters. <laughs> <laughs> but you know Ant-Man isn't so quick to do so uh so he's got he's got to uh fight off the bodyguard uh, beetles which is not Paul John George and Ringo uh and then they they do eventually bring him down and he's unconscious and they just take him away and throw him down into a hole cuz killing him would be too uh I don't know what it would be. It's just I've got a gun know. in my room. Let's just shoot him right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so the the Scarlet Beetle takes his uh, enlargening gas and becomes as large as a human. So Lord knows nobody could defeat a bug the size of a human. And he uh, he he they start to attack the people. Uh, he has bunch of uh, grasshoppers steal dynamite from a, an armory uh, and the, the uh, genius who's protecting it doesn't even notice these yes. boxes of dynamite that are walking away on their own even though he's <laughs> standing with a machine gun at the ready so uh, and then the, uh, the monstrous leader himself strikes but nobody can shoot him because bees are getting in their way and they can't aim at him and he destroys all TV and radio stations to prevent communication between the humans. Clever, huh? huh? <laughs> so this one beetle by himself is really just, you know, wreaking havoc, and no one can stop all these insects. Uh, but the Ant-Man has a plan, and he has honey ants put honey down so that that stops the uh, the beetle guards, and then he gets some DDT, and they spray it at the uh, grasshoppers, but that only knocks them out. It doesn't kill them, because I oh, don't know no. why. And then we come to a final confrontation where, the, where Ant-Man has led the Scarlet Beetle into a toy store where they are fighting, and... They just kind of have a dopey fight, and with, with, which ends with Ant-Man piercing the reducing gas that the Scarlet Beetle was stupid enough to uh, secure to his own body, and it shrinks him back down to miniature size, and the Ant-Man imprisons him inside of a balloon. <laughs> you know, and I don't mean I don't mean a balloon that you'd fly around the world in. I mean a balloon that you'd find in a toy store. Uh, then he takes him, and being the nice guy that he is, he counteracts the effects of the radiation and returns the Scarlet Beetle to its normal level of intelligence and then sets it free. Because no one was to blame. And we all live happily ever after. <laughs> the end. Well, the good thing is it was only ten pages. <laughs> Some, somehow you equate quality to length. <laughs> the shorter it is the worse it's allowed to be in your mind yeah. well it, it's the amount of pain that he has to go through reading it so the shorter it is the less the amount of pain 
No, I like the uh, I like the mauve beetle. Uh, I mean the fuchsia, the fu- uh, mulberry, the, the mulberry beetle. Mulberry. <laughs> Here's the thing. I live in Columbus, Ohio, home of the scarlet and gray Ohio State Buckeyes. So trust me on this one. That ain't scarlet. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to trust the you on red, that. The red in Ant-Man's uniform is much closer to scarlet, and those are not the same. Not the same color, so, you know, uh, amethyst, a light purple, uh, I'm not <laughs> sure what we'd call that, but I'm sure a Sherwin-Williams has a name for that color, and it is not scarlet. Well, let me ask you something. <laughs> yeah. Coloring aside, what do you think? <laughs> Wait a minute. Besides, well, you know, we're, coloring we're and length of the story aside. <laughs> no, actually, again, we're... we're we're in this era of the classic sci-fi concept and, you know, shrinking down or, you know, or, or growing, uh, you know, those, those control, those, those, that, that power, that's a classic sci-fi idea, mm. though I don't know that it's translated well as the years have gone by. That might just be me. So, but size changing, especially shrinking, it's not really a concept that excites me all that much, though it does give you an opportunity to do some cool things with the scale and with the art, and I think that's done well. You know, those aspects, how the how the shrinking is portrayed, um, uh, I like that. Um, but again, I, I'm super smart beetles ready to take over the world. I just can't buy that. And I know it's probably my DC comics bias because I love super smart monkeys ready to take over. (laughs) That makes sense to me. That sells. (laughs) Put that on the cover. But I'm going to tell you, I I would accept super smart beetles. (laughs) I'm not willing to accept super smart beetle. <laughs> exactly. I getcha. I getcha. The one. Because the one. All I need is a good shoe. <laughs> and 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 you know, the one of the problems with these, you know, uh, reprinting these sort of haphazard type of stories is you you think, well, you know, Thor could probably crush the vulture. Human Torch really could have taken care of this insect problem. You know, if we put Ant-Man against the wizard, that probably would have worked out a lot. I mean, you know, it's just this, uh, (laughs) uh, at at least we didn't hear that, uh, you know, beetles and ants are natural enemies. That was the old wasp move, right? The old wasp sense. Yeah. (laughs) Although apparently ants are immensely loyal to someone who can talk to them. (laughs) But... (laughs) Every other insect in the world will be, just be convinced by any old person or beetle. Any old red-tinted beetle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, this, this, this one, I think, suffers from two things. One, the character's name is Ant-Man, so they figured they had to go with insects more often than not. And two... They don't have any actual villains for them to go up against yet. Well, I there think is in the, no... the issue before this, I think they introduced Egghead. 
So that became one of his key villains through the years. But but he he did not have a rogues gallery. Yeah, the porcupine or hadn't been you know invented yet. They didn't have yeah they didn't have anyone for they didn't have uh, whirlwind. They didn't have the wasp. And it's almost like this one was them going back to his first appearance before he became Ant-Man, when it was just, uh, this is just another um, strange science story where, oh, you mentioned his shrinking gas, and he shrinks down and has to deal with all these ants, and they're they're trying to kill him, and he has to run away from them. So it's, okay, That's- instead... That it's, not an, <laughs> that it's not an ongoing character that they've used before. It's like it it is kind of like a science fiction one off. Yeah. Yeah. It's just they they squeezed in the superhero thing. And. What what's I find the funniest out about all this is this is a guy the size of an ant. But everybody expects to see him fighting things. You can't. He's the size of an ant. How do you know he's not out there fighting stuff? <laughs> but they just assume, oh, well, obviously he turned coward. He couldn't. He didn't help us at all. It, Beale just went away on his own. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's... I think the... <laughs> I think this is just... It, it, yeah, it, it, That's it, the Marvel trope of no one understands me. Yeah. Oh, even Spider-Man in in the story in this issue, the cops are like, "Oh boy, we didn't believe what Jameson said. We're gonna miss this guy if he if he fails." <laughs> Here it's like, uh, Ant-Man held him. I'm surprised that most people even know about Ant-Man at this point. I mean, <laughs> he's been in contact with the police. I didn't think he got any publicity up to now. Well, that's that's kind of something that that Stan also took as, I think, as a comic book trope. Because uh, if I remember correctly, in the second issue of the Fantastic Four with the Skrulls, they were already well established, and the public all knew about them. And mm. you know, it, it was as if they had been heroes for years and years and years. Well, they were in Central City. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Good point. I hadn't considered that. (laughs) So, but this, you know, know, this one takes the cake of the four four folks. I have to say, it's just so ridiculous. (laughs) And you know, from an art perspective, I think Ant Man is drawn fine, but all of the insects are just poorly rendered. You mean you don't like the human eyes on the uh, the mauve beetle here? Can't say that I do. <laughs> <laughs> Could, but I'd be lying. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. I, mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know where they were looking to go with this, frankly. Uh, they were looking to fill ten pages. That's what. But let's wrong. let's say this: this is the villain, as far as I know. Uh, I, I did look him up on the Marvel Wiki, and it had, I think it said 13 appearances. How uh, many of them were reprints? But I yeah. think I think the majority of them were reprints, and then I yeah. think some were like in the, 
you know, like not even appearances of him, but flashbacks. Right. And then I think right. I think there was like a monster book or something that he reappeared in, and that's not even all that long ago. Yeah. yeah. I can just imagine that flashback. You think you have some stupid villains? Listen to this one. <laughs> I once fought this weird colored beetle. <laughs> So I guess I go first on this one. Mm. Uh, the cover just looks dumb to me with the giant beetle. <laughs> I don't even think it serves the purpose of what it's trying to serve. Uh, it's not a total, total waste, but it's coming close to it. So I'm going to say a D. Uh, the interior art, as I said, I think the people are drawn fine, but I don't like the way the insects are drawn. Really any of them, the ants, the grasshoppers, the beetles. I think they're all kind of poorly drawn. Um, so I'm going to say a C- minus on the interior art. And the story is just as dumb as everything else, so I'm going to say a C- minus on that as well. And I'm <laughs> this book. Overall, a D+. Plus. Okay. All right. Well, I got to agree with you on the cover. <laughs> that This is one of those covers where if I saw it on the stands, I would say... No, <laughs> I am not buying this book. I'm going to keep my 12 cents. <laughs> yes, I would much rather buy Strange Tales with my 12 cents than this, because at least that cover is like, oh, well, I can get three stories for this. And this one is just like, what the heck is going on there? Uh, so, yeah, that's a D on that that cover. Um, the interior art. You know, Kirby is doing Kirby tech. He's got some nice angles for, for different things. Like the, the very first panel after the splash page is, an, is a nice perspective shot of people walking down the street from the ant's eye view. Uh, but overall, it's eh. <laughs> like you said, the, the humans are done very well. Ant-Man, when he realizes he can't get out of the hole, that face is terrific. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's not, I just keep coming back to the main villain. The main villain looks dumb, and that's not going to, it doesn't, he doesn't look like a threat at all. So, uh, C- on the art. And the story, it's a one-off in the truest sense of the word. <laughs> we will never see any of this ever again. Uh, but it... No, no, it's a, <laughs> we, we will go with a C minus there. So I'm going to, that's probably a, a D plus for this story. Yeah. that The beetle on the cover, maybe it's just the nature of shrinking it. And then we're looking at a scan of a scan or whatever it is, but it looks like it's like Photoshopped on there. It looks like it's not even part of the composition. It just looks like it, it doesn't, it, it, it it's not good. Uh, so yeah, I'm in the D plus ish range on that. Um, in terms of the art, again, I actually I, I, I like the way Ant Man looks here. I like the design elements. I like the helmet. I like the antenna. Again, it's got that sci fi look. I, I like some of the things Kirby is doing here. So I'd be tempted to give it in the BB minus range, but coloring is part mm-hmm. <laughs> of art. And that ain't Scarlet, so I'm dropping that into the C, C-minus range, and 
you know, again, the sci-fi concept, but it's just not working at any level. So D plus for the story, C minus overall ish. It, and at least it was only 10 pages. <laughs> See, I, I think, you know, at 10 pages, you wouldn't spend 12 cents for this, but if it was six pages, you might. <laughs> but what, what, what filled up the other 10 pages in that, in that issue? That's what, that's what we need to find out. I'm not certain. <laughs> and I probably will never know. Mm. It had to be something that Stan thought, nope, I got to put Ant Man on the cover. This other story's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even consider that. Oh, this boy. Is the best, this is the best, best thing we have. <sighs> People will flock from miles around to see this. <laughs> <laughs> But to be fair, again, I want to emphasize, I bought all four of these for 50 cents total. And sent it to me, and I am very thankful. There yes. you go, see? <laughs> as, 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 you know, as much as we can critique this and put it down, I enjoyed this book immensely. So from a critic's point of view, yeah, it leaves a lot to be desired. From a fan point of view... It's terrific. There you go. There you go. It's worth the 12 and a half cents per story. (laughs) It's it's worth the absolutely nothing I paid for it. Yes. (laughs) So I want to thank you for sending it to me, Alan. And, you know, it's greatly appreciated. And I want to thank both of you for making the time to come on with me tonight. Oh, thanks for asking. This was fun. It always is for me. So I... I always hope it will be for you guys as well. Yes. Bill doesn't know what he missed, or maybe he does, and that's why he missed it. <laughs> well, remember, he read the Human Torch story. He probably looked at the wizard and said, oh, no. I, I, think, I think Bill couldn't come on because he was making a face similar to what the wizard was making. <laughs> so, uh, you guys want to just take a second to pimp anything you're working on? Sure. Uh, most of what uh, most of what I do is over at the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, run by me and my only child. Over there, you can find the Quarterbin Podcast, which you know this this title, this issue, you know, never never qualify for it. Fifty cents, woo, outrageous. And uh, also, me and Em have been doing a side project for now about four or five years now. Uh, Darkness to Light, which has its own separate feed, and over there we talk about the religious and spiritual content that appear in various items of pop culture. And I'm on back to the bins whenever hmm. Mr. Spatero sends up the uh, the bin signal. <laughs> well, it's much appreciated. You got anything in, in the hopper, Gene? Uh, I'm not really doing a whole lot right now. I'm still... Uh, settling in down here, even though we've we've been here for seven months now. Uh, <laughs> it takes a while to get used to it. But the only, uh, probably the only consistent place you can find me would be at the Class 1000 Marvel Phase Rip Live Action Role Playing Podcast. Yeah, we made that name that long on purpose. Uh, that's over at Podbean. Oh, I want you to know, Gene, I'm familiar with some of those words you just said. <laughs> uh, essentially, what we're doing is we're playing the old Marvel superheroes game from TSR from back in the 90s. Uh, 
basically with the same guys we were playing, <laughs> we were all playing with back then. <laughs> and it's a, it's just a live uh, recording of us going through the, the various modules that I've put together. And it, if you have a decent set of headphones that no one else will be able to hear what you're listening to, give it a shot. If you can, ev- if someone even possibly can overhear you listening to it, don't <laughs> because <laughs> you have middle-aged men acting like middle schoolers. And while it's funny, uh, viewer, <laughs> viewer discretion is advised. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, it is for, uh, for mature audiences with an immature mind. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Sounds like it's up my alley. Yep. <laughs> and it's, uh, it comes out once a month, first of the month. Uh, we're up to episode 14 or 15 now. I can't remember where we're at. Uh, but we've already recorded enough episodes to get us through this summer, and we're going to be setting up sessions for, for new ones coming up. So it, it isn't a going concern. All right, cool. So once again, thank you guys for coming on. And thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. I, I don't know. That's going to see. That's the... You know, this is always the every two every two two months I go into uh, deep evil hibernation because of work. <laughs>